We're going to go to and check it for ourselves and find out if it's true. And then Paul left the Bereans and he went to a city in Thessalonica. And the Thessalonians said, hey, this is the Apostle Paul. Like, we don't need to check it. It's okay. We believe everything Paul says. Now, it's the Apostle Paul. So they, the Thessalonians were okay, right? Like, like okay, they, they got away with that one. But that's not a strategy you want to employ with it, just anybody, especially me. Well, but what Paul did was Paul went back then and he said, hey, those in Berea, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they heard the word and then they went and searched it for themselves to see if it was true. And so Paul didn't get mad at the Bereans for double checking his work, that he actually commended them. And so that's that's a biblical concept that we, we want to receive it for ourselves. We want to check it. We want to, you know, I'm not talking about creating a culture where we just argue about who's right because I'm, I'm usually right, but... Um, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I better stop. I'm digressing. All right. So, um, Matthew chapter 16, and it says, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing him, asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. Did you guys learn the fat Sadducees and Pharisees, uh, song in Sunday school? I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair. You see, I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're sad. You see, No. That's the first time I've ever sung in church. You're welcome. <laughs> Most times if I sing, you know, people will leave. But um, these two groups of people, let, actually look at verse number one again. Look at it in my version. This is out of 1 Christolonians. It says, then the Republicans and the Democrats came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. So actually it's, it's, it's kind of encouraging a little bit that even in Jesus's day, we had this. Um, this dichotomy of, of, of opinions among the religious folks of his day. So the Pharisees were the very religious people. They, were, they wore the robes with the collars. They followed the law of Moses to a T. They went to their garden and they had these little tiny mints in the garden. And, and as they picked these, these meticulous little mints, they would count out nine for themselves and one for the Lord as they would tithe even of their mints and their cumins. They would stand in the street corners and pray so people could see them, the Pharisees. Very religious, very outwardly religious. Jesus said of them a couple chapters ago that you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, as we studied a couple weeks ago. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, were very liberal. They were very um, left, I guess you could say, in their, in their theology and their believing. They were, they were kind of new agey. They, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They were very political in their, in their beliefs. And their political um, aspirations and, and desires were more important than spiritual things. Now, in Jesus' day, there was a governing body that would be very similar to our governing body today. It was called the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was 70 members, and there was no really division of, of church and state. Religion and politics was one idea in Jesus' day. And the, 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 the Sanhedrin was made up of partly Sadducees and partly Pharisees. And so this group, who were polar opposites, decided they had something in common that they could come together on. I wish our politicians had one thing in common they could figure out, but they haven't done it yet. Um, so they decided that they hated Jesus. And we get this, this idea that they're constantly coming to Jesus to test him. They're coming to check him. And sometimes you think they really got him trapped, you know. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, if he says no, then he's, he's, he's ruined because the Romans are after him. If he says yes, then the Jews hate him. And Jesus just outsmarts him every time. 
you know, unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto the Lord the things that are the Lord's. And so they come, and he said to them in verse 2, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So one of the titles of my message today is, Que hora es? What time is it? Look at your neighbor and say, what time is it? How about in Spanish? Que hora es? I, I even learned it in Chinese this morning. What time is it? Anybody know it in another language? What time is it? What, what it is time. <laughs> so the... What time is it is, is, is the question or the idea or the concept that if you kind of remember that, keep that in your mind, this makes sense. But the biblical ver- uh, term that Jesus used here was he said, you cannot discern the signs of the time. You know, there's that saying among sailors, right, that uh, I wouldn't know because I, I get seasick just looking at the ocean. But um, it says that if red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And and Jesus says you can discern the weather, but you're missing the signs of the times. You're missing important clues that God is giving that you should be picking up on by now. You know, what's, what's interesting is this group is the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were constantly at aught with Jesus. But he has this same exact conversation in another place on multiple times with his disciples. And he chastised them for the same reason. They were not discerning the times. They didn't know what time it was. He's going to, by the end of this chapter, again, call Peter on the carpet for the same idea that Peter was not understanding the times. You know, I I say for you and I, I say it's important. That we don't want to, you know, when we see these warnings in the Bible, we don't want to fall into these class, right? Do you want Jesus to say to you what he said to these folks in this verse? And when Jesus says these negative things, we don't desire for him to say that about us. You you don't discern the times. You're missing something. And so, you know, and I'm not just talking about, I think when you talk about this concept of discerning times that, you know, we're always talking about in the context of Jesus coming back. Now, I just want to say, Jesus is coming back. If, if you can read as a child and you read the New Testament 600 times, somewhere in some way is the theme is mentioned that Jesus is coming back. Like you don't have to be a religious fanatic or a Jesus freak. All you have to do is know how to read. And if you read the New Testament, you would understand that it's very clear. The Old Testament was about God was going to send a Messiah. He came in a manger. The New Testament is about that Messiah died on a cross and he's coming back. But Jesus told us what the signs of the times were when he would come back. And as we see those things ramp up, as we see those things happen, there is a little bit of responsibility on your part and my part to discern these times. I don't mean to be too heavy today. I don't even feel like, oh, man, like, I, I better go do something to figure out the times. Like, you know, like, I, I'm not trying to discourage you. I, I'm trying to challenge you a little bit, encourage you a little bit, that there is an expectation from the Lord that, that we would understand. We would see certain things. You know, one of the things I shared last week, and I was very passionate about it, we prayed as a church, we stood and raised hands to the Lord, and, and, and we, we as a church wanted to be involved with what was happening in Washington this week. And, and the way we wanted to be involved was to pray for our nation. 
I didn't pray for, for, for confirmation or denial. I didn't pray for A or B. I just prayed for God's will to be done in this, in this nation and for the evil that is taking place to be thwarted and for God to win this battle, whichever way that was going to go. The, the protest that took place on Capitol Hill this week. Did you guys see? How about this group? Did you guys see this group that showed up in front of the Capitol this week with these, with these hoods on and these robes? And I, I won't say they look like satanic, like seance robes. I didn't say that, but that's kind of what I was thinking without saying it aloud. I stand with Planned Parenthood, abort Mike Pence, and this group is there to protect what they believe is a battle against uh, a woman's right to choose. Now, they're, they're really not, you can turn that off, we don't want to see them anymore. Um, it, it's, it's really not, they're, they're really not that concerned, that passionate about what happened to a 15-year-old girl in a party 35 years ago. But what this battle is really about, and, and why this is so ugly on both sides, and why it has gotten so nasty, and protesters and these folks are showing up, is because to, the, to them, to some, the issue is abortion. And they believe that, that this is going to be the swing vote that's, that's going to reverse Roe versus Wade. And for whatever reason, they are amazingly passionate about abortion, about a woman's right to... <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so... You know, it's, and here's what I said, listen, church, I'm try, I try to be careful, you know, because listen, we want to love folks where this side of the, lo- the aisle you're on today, you're welcome here, you're loved here, that's why we have church. Um, and, and I'm not afraid to say political things and opinions, but, but my point through all of this and this, where we are in Matthew 16 today, is to say, listen, what's happening in our nation is a spiritual battle, Amen. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of hosts of wickedness in high places. And that's what's happening in Washington this last week. There, it's, it's a demonic force. It's powers. It's wickedness. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. It's not a fleshly battle. And we prayed as a church last week, and we prayed as a nation, and the evangelical voice through prayer has been heard. And God, is, and God is doing something, and we're getting a reprieve in our nation for a season. How long that season lasts, I don't know. I don't care, really. If everything just goes to pot tomorrow, praise God, because Jesus said it would before he come. Then Jesus is just coming sooner. And if I ask Jesus to come back every day, I had a migraine last night like you wouldn't believe. And I didn't know whether to curse or just beg Jesus to come back right now. <laughs> Jesus, just come back right now. And if, and if I want that, I desire that. The Bible says there's a special crown for folks who desire the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who anticipate it, who, who desire it, who look forward, forward to it. And I'm anticipating the coming of our Lord. I want to be careful, right? I'm not going to charge my credit cards up because Jesus is coming back. If I knew when he was coming back, I would. I'd have him about new guns before he got back. I don't know what I'd do with them, but I'd look at them and shine them or something, but maybe a couple new pair of Jordans, but... Um, but we, Jesus said, occupy until I come. And, 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 the, and the, the, the thing we got to keep a hold of is, yes, we are desiring and looking for and longing. And we're seeing crazy amount of signs right now, all laid out in what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 22, all through Revelation. These things are all coming to pass before our very own eyes. But until we see the whites of his eyes, there's work to be done. And, and until we meet him, until we're floating on a cloud, there's, there's souls that need to be saved. There's gospel that need to be preached. There's people that need to be loved. But again, I don't want to get too far off. I want to go back to where we are. Que hora es? 
We're talking about discerning times. And I want to encourage you as believers that, and listen, you're, you're not going to be very good at discerning times if you don't know what the word of God says. Be, be a believer who, who's a Berean, who reads the word of God, has a daily discipline. And I don't think it's a matter of amount or, or, or how much or how little. I encourage folks to read the Bible through in a year. I think you can do it in 15 minutes a day. I, I know it's, you know, the, there's, a, there's a goal of being intimate with God as we spend our daily devotions. And some days I, I don't read my whole 15 minutes that gets me through my manual plan. Sometimes I just spend a little time in a verse or two. But if I do that every day, how long would it take me to read the Bible? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I'll spend my whole life and I won't know. So as we, so if we're going to do what Jesus said here and, and understand and discern the times, we, ha- we have to be in the word of God as a people. Amen? Amen. And in verse four, it says, and a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So, you know, the, one of the things that the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, even some of the other folks, they were constantly coming to Jesus and they were basically like saying, Jesus, dance, dance, Jesus, dance, like do some tricks for us. When Jesus gets arrested in the end of his life, um, Pontius Pilate is so excited um, to see Jesus because he thinks Jesus will do some miracles for him. And he interviews him and he's trying to actually get him to be like a circus clown and, and, and you know, pull rabbits out of hats and make doves fly. And, and, and Jesus doesn't do any of it, doesn't even speak back to him. But constantly they were wanting Jesus to, to give him these signs. Yet the sign was standing right in front of him. Jesus himself was the sign. Jesus himself as the Messiah. And he had done so many signs that they just chose to ignore. And it didn't matter how many more signs he did, how many more miracles he did. That is not what was going to make him believe. Miracles don't make you believe. Signs don't make you believe. And Jesus understood that and he did them. And he did them for those that they would touch and change. But Jesus just got done feeding 4,000 people. Chapter before that, he fed 5,000. Right in the same context, they brought everybody in the group of the 4,000 that he fed and he healed every one of them. Jesus had been performing miracles and doing signs all around him. So when they come to Jesus, you ever talk to somebody and they say, oh, this God you're talking about, this God you say, if there really is a God, then he'll strike me with lightning right now. You're like, come on, God, one time. <laughs> one time, Lord, get her done. Like, I don't know what he proved. I guess the only thing he proved is the mercy and the grace of God. And that, you know, God is long suffering. And maybe that person's going to get right before it's too late. But God's not going to dance for anybody. He's not going to do signs and, and, and wonders apart from the ones he's already given us. And if we won't believe, do you remember Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus and the rich man were in, in Abraham's bosom and one was on the he- heaven side, one was on the hell side. And the guy on the hell side said to Lazarus, will you go back and tell my brothers so that they know? And Lazarus said, even if the, even if the dead would come back to life, your brothers won't believe. These signs and wonders are not what's going to make people believe. Like if they don't believe already, if they don't have faith, they got to they got to believe in what's true. And then Jesus said, no sign will be given to him except the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And Jesus would be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And that Jesus would rise again the third day. And the sign of Jonah was resurrection. And you want to know the number one sign that every one of us have, the number one proof that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that he's real and that he's coming back and that he changes lives. It's that Jesus rose from the grave. You know, you want to start a new religion? People do it all the time. People discover there's lots of money in religion. That's how L. Ron Hubbard got started. But you, you want to be a part of that, then I'll sign up to follow your religion. 
I'll be your first convert. All you got to do is shoot yourself in the face, die, lay down in the dirt for three days and rise up again, and then I'll follow you. Jesus did that. He died a brutal death, laid in the ground for three days, and he rose again on the third day. Only one in human history, and that's powerful. And the, the power of the resurrection, and Paul tells us, preach the resurrection. And the Gospels tell us it's the resurrection and the cross, and the resurrection and the cross, and the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection is the power. And Jesus said, no sign will be given except for the most powerful. The, the most you know, obvious sign is that I will conquer sin and death. I, I, will, I will rise again the third day. Now, on a little side note, you know, I, 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 and I had this conversation by the grace of God. I was talking to a guy about the Bible and about God. And thankfully now I, he said to me, um, well, you don't believe in all the Bible, do you? And I said, well, sure I do. He's like, but not literally, right? And I said, yeah, literally. Like you really believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale? And I said, yeah, I, I believe that. This, this woman was having this similar conversation. And, you know, Jesus believed it. That helps. And, and, and these stories are literal. This woman was having a similar conversation with this intellectual man, and he, he told her along the same lines, do you really believe that, that, that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and swam 600 miles and, and lived three days in the belly of the whale and spit up on a beach? She said, absolutely. She's like, you believe everything the Bible said? She said, I absolutely believe it. She said, I would believe it if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale and swam him 600 miles to, to the beach. She said, I would believe that if the Bible said it. If I told you that Jonah was swallowed by a trident submarine that the U.S. Navy built and was swam 600 miles and spit up on San Diego, would anybody have a hard time believing that a guy rode a submarine 600 miles under the ocean? Of course not. Men can build submarines, but a God of heaven can't make a fish to swallow a man? What is wrong with people? So, so the, this woman talking to this man, this man said, well, how do you know and how did Jonah survive in the belly of this whale for three days? And the woman said to the intellectual man, he, he said, I have no idea. She said, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask you. And the guy said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? She said, well, then you could ask him. <laughs> so, all right. Where are we at? That was, that was rabbit trail. Verse five. It says, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the, fa- of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. These knuckleheads still were not getting it. And Jesus was constantly talking about spiritual things, and they thought he was talking about flesh things. Now, you can think of tons of examples through the gospel where people did this. And, you know, all of this for your learning and my learning and for lesson. You remember in John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with a guy named Nick at night, we call him. Nicodemus. And Nick came at night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to catch him talking to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, are you not a ruler of the Jews of the synagogue and you don't know these things? He said, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. And what did Nicodemus say? Can I crawl back into my mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, how can that happen? Like, he really, in his mind, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to make fun of Jesus. He really just was trying to figure out the concept. Like, how could he be born again? That's crazy. Jesus wasn't talking about physically, right? It's a spiritual thing Jesus was talking about. You must be born again. Jesus comes to the woman in the well, and he, what does he say to the woman in the well? If you drink of this water that I give, you'll never thirst again. 
And this woman worked hard carrying water every day on her head like an African woman in, you know, on a tribe. And she, she's like, well, where can I get some of this Gatorade that I don't have to keep coming back to this well? And I drink it and I won't, I won't, have to, I won't ever have to come here again. Well, Jesus said, I'm not talking about the water. Jesus said of the woman uh, or, or to, the, to us, if you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no place with me. And later the Romans, looking for a reason to crucify Christians and kill them and put them in the, in, in the, in the gladiator games and in the Colosseum, went to that verse and said they're cannibals. They eat the body and blood of one another. But obviously Jesus wasn't talking literally, right? Otherwise, we're all cannibals that receive communion today because each one of you took of the body and the bread of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ today as we receive communion. But Jesus was talking about spiritual things. And so um, as he goes on, he says, in verse 8, but being aware of it, he said to them, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have no bread. Do you yet not understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? We studied that in chapter 14 a couple weeks ago. Nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. We studied that in chapter 15 last week. How is it that you do not understand that I, that I did not speak to you concerning bread? Look at verse number 11. It says, I want you guys to read with me. How is it you do not understand? Okay, there's another one. Look at verse nine. Do you not yet understand? Look at verse 12. Another one. Then they understood. Now, if you come to church here, you know this. I say this a lot, but I'll say it again for any of our guest benefits. One of the, 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 the biblical ways that we read and we study to make things a little bit easier is God uses repetition in the Bible. And so if you're reading a chapter, you know, it, it makes sense to to to. If you see the same word seven, eight times, same concept, it's there for a reason. It's not there on accident. There's lots of other things we're looking at and ways we're doing it, but that's one of the easy ways to find what the theme is and what we're looking at and what we're reading, and it helps us. And God often uses repetition when the Holy Spirit repeats himself. And so here we have this same concept that was started in the beginning by Jesus and then kind of in a little different context, but the same idea that Jesus wants us to discern the times. He wants us to be understanding. He wants us to, to know the things of God. And, and so we see that over and over and over again. And he's telling them that they are not getting it. And then they said in verse um, 12, then they understood that he did not tell them, I'm sorry, verse 11, how, how is it you do not understand that I do not speak concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Fadducees. I always want to put those two words together, the Fadducees and the Pharisees. I, I think I'll be good. I was trying to say Kong popcorn the other day, and I said something else pretty embarrassing. I'll leave it alone. Um, and then it, it says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what is leaven in the Bible? Leaven is a type of how many times? Every time. Every time you see leaven in the Bible, it's a type of sin. Okay. So leaven is uh, represents sin. And so Jesus is talking about the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's, he's not warning them that they didn't bring any bread. Jesus said, don't you remember? It's not about bread. We just fed 5,000 and 4,000 the week. 
before that. And um, it's about sin. It's about the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We've talked about it a lot. The, the Pharisees, it was the religiosity with the, the outward appearance of righteousness, looking to be seen as holy, the self-righteousness, I'm better than you, the, you know, the, all of those things that go with, with somebody who wants to outwardly be perceived as, as righteous and holy. And, and with the Sadducees, their sin, their leaven was, was this liberalism and this free thinking and that there, there are no absolutes, there are no truths, all roads lead to McDonald's, that kind of thing. And then in verse 13, it says, And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? So let me tell you, let me set up this this section right here. Now, this is one of the um, Peter's crowning moments. Jesus brings, this is a big crescendo in this chapter, in this part of the Bible. Jesus brings his disciples to a place. In verse um, 13, it tells us what the name of that place is. What is it? Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is in the far north of Israel. It's in the area that we call Dan. You know, in the Old Testament, they would say from Dan to Beersheba. Dan as far north as you can go, Beersheba as far south as you could go. And kind of an Old Testament idiom from Dan to Beersheba, from San Francisco to New York, L.A. to New York kind of idea. I was in this last time I was in Israel. I told my guide that I was saying something. I said from Dan to Beersheba. And he said, oh, that's old. We don't say that anymore. I said, oh, man, I thought it was cool. And he said, now we say from Dan to Elat, because I guess there's a new settlement. There's a new place in southern Israel called Elat that is now the southernmost border, and it's no longer Beersheba. So now it's from Dan to Elat. So in, in this place, Caesarea Philippi, I brought a couple slides just quickly. On the left there, and they're kind of hard to see, huh? On the left there is an artist's rendition of what it would have looked like on this day of Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was there. It was a sanctuary to Greek gods, the one on the left called Pan. It was um, very common. You'll see this god in, in Greek mythology. You'll see him in different pictures. And it's, it's, a, it's a pagan deity that's lasted for thousands of years and been, been worshipped by pagans for years. He had in this place, Dan the um, sanctuary to Pan. Now, in that area, um, that's ancient Banis, and in that area of northern Israel there, there was actually uh, up to 15 of these different temples in this area where there was a conglomeration of pagan gods and Greek idols that were worshipped in this area. So in this setting, in this context, Jesus brings his disciples, and there's big crowds, and there's all kinds of people going to the different um, temples and churches and places and worshipping their different deities, and there's this area of, of worship but, but lots of confusion because there's no one central thing that's being worshipped there. And, and in this context, Jesus say, says, who do men say that I am? This next picture, um, that is looking back at the hole is where it would have been. There's a, there's a tour group there in that picture. Kind of that's what those little things are under the cave there. Um, so right below this, it's beautiful in Caesarea Philippi. Um, and, and the word is Jordan. The word Jordan is, is, is from Dan, is what the Jordan River means. So the Jordan River begins, it comes out of this rock right there at Caesarea Philippi. It's beautiful. And it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. When you're there, there's a, just, just below this picture right here, if you were walking down this way a little bit more, the same direction the water is going, 
There's a little bridge that you can walk across, and then another 100 yards down is the gift shop and all those things. And when you're there in Israel, we're go- we'll be in a couple weeks. We-, we have our next group going a couple weeks. They-, they sell you these little bottles for like two bucks. And it's empty when you buy it, and it says, Banis Holy Water. And then you go over to the Jordan River, and you walk across that little land bridge, and you fill your holy water up. Mine's evaporated, but that's two years old. Last time we were there was about two years ago, right? Did you get some holy water, Brian, when we were there? No? You're not as holy as I am. That's all right, dude. I get it. Does anybody need to be splashed with holy water? I know Dan does. Um, so anyways, it's just fun while you're there. So Jesus is, you can take that off. Jesus is there in this setting, and, he's, and he asks his disciples this verse. And then in verse 14, so they answered. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, do you think this is strange? Not really, right? If we went down to Walmart today and we stood in front of Walmart and we were doing a YouTube video and we began to ask folks, who do you think Jesus is? We'd probably get some varying answers, right? He's a prophet. He's a teacher. He's, oh, he's that good old boy upstairs. He's the good Lord. He's God. He's the son of man. He's the son of David. I don't know what we give. I'm sure we get lots of varying answers of who Jesus is. Now, let me tell you, the most important thing, the most important question you'll ever answer in your life is exactly that question, who is Jesus? You know, there's things in the Bible, there's things that as Christians and in cultures, you know, there's things that, that, that are non-essential issues that don't separate us as Christians. You know, and it, you probably all figured it out right now, right? Like by now, Christians, we don't agree on everything. Hopefully we love through everything. We have unity through everything. But we, we, got, we got different different ideas about the gifts of speaking in tongues, the gifts of prophecy, the, the way we worship, the, the way we baptize. But, but none of those things, and Paul tells us in, in the Gospel of Romans, none of those things are essential issues. Listen, you, you can sprinkle or baptize a baby and be wrong. Just kidding, that was an inside joke. And, and still go to heaven. It, it, it's, not an, it's not a separating issue. It's, it's neither here nor there. You can speak in tongues in your service or not speak in tongues. You can, you know, you can do, there's issues in church that doctrinally that we don't all have to agree on. And we're all, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know why we have churches that do things all differently? So God can reach a lot of different people. And, and God is so big that God's got like 31 flavors. As long as it's all ice cream, God's good. And, and they're non-essential issues. You, you can, you can still relate to God you know, and, and I don't think, you know, we, and I never pretend like, and I don't even care about being right. And I don't care that, 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 you know, I don't think we are the right or we have it figured out. I don't think that at all. You know, we're, we're Calvary because that's just our family. It's just who we are. You know, and if we're once, you know, spectrum, very conservative, whatever, I don't know, just Baptist, I guess where I kind of put that, and on the other end, very um, demonstrative Pentecostal, and, you know, there, there's so many things that we do differently that are non-essential issues. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't matter. Calvary's kind of in the middle. We're kind of like Baptocostal. We're like, we haven't, we haven't figured it out yet whether we want to, you know, we, we, we like the gifts of the spirits. I speak in tongues, and, you know, I like worship, and I, I don't know, but, you know, I'm about running up and down, waving flags, and being slain in the spirit. That's, that, that's just not my style. Not wrong, just not my style. And, you know, and on the other side, either. But God allows it. And we're all brothers and sisters on non-essential issues. But on essential issues, those are separating factors. 
And the number one essential issue in the gospel is who? It's not what, it's who? It's Jesus and who Jesus is. You can get lots of things wrong, and I'm sure I do. And I'm sure we do. But there's one thing you cannot get wrong, and that's the answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? You've got to get it right. It's a matter of heaven and hell. It really is. There's, there's no getting the wrong Jesus. You don't get the wrong Jesus and still go to heaven. Do you know that Jesus is mentioned in the Quran seven times? He goes by the name in the Quran, Isis, I-S-I-S. They spell it like Isis, and they pronounce it like Isis. And, and if you talk to a Muslim today... Find a, find a friendly Muslim and have a good conversation with them and ask them about their Jesus. And they'll be happy to tell you about him. He's a prophet of Allah. He's going to return. And he's going to tell the Christians that they're wrong and that Allah is the true God. He is not the son of God because it's blasphemy to think that God would have a son. And, and yet they believe in Jesus. I've seen videos of, of, of people witnessing the Muslims and they say, oh, we're more Christian than you do. We believe in Jesus too. And we pray five times a day. And you Christians, you don't ever pray. And I said, well, Jesus told us to go in our room and pray. So how would you know? <laughs> we pray seven times a day, but you just don't see us. But, but having the right Jesus is, is, is essential issue. And so for each one of you to answer that question is a matter of heaven and hell. Who do you say that I am? Are you, the, are you the Christos? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Well, let's see what Peter says. <clears throat> and Simon Peter in verse 16 answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjono, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so this is Peter's like crowning moment. You know Peter, right? He's like a bull in a china closet. He's constantly, you know, talking first, thinking later, putting his foot in his mouth. You know, at one point he shows up and, the, and, and, and Jesus, for whatever reason, just keeps Peter right there the whole time, you know, by his side through the whole three years. And they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah and Moses is there and, and God the Father shows up and Peter doesn't know what to do. So he, the Bible says he just starts talking. And God says to him, shut up, stifle, tells him, be quiet. And, and this is Peter. And, and so we see some of these things, Peter denying Jesus. But really, honestly, this was a good moment in Peter's walk with Jesus. It really was. He got the answer right. Jesus had been giving him a hard time about not discerning times and missing things and, and, and missing the signs that, that God was giving, that Jesus was teaching. And, and this one, Peter got 100% right. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And Peter's like, you hear that, guys? father speaks to me don't worry i'll tell you what he says when he talks to me that's right i hear i'm sensitive to the work you know this word of the father i got it you know don't worry don't worry other 11 i'll take care of this and he was really proud and rightfully so he he had he had done it and jesus had praised him jesus even said that this was didn't come from flesh and blood this came from the father who was in heaven and then, and then Jesus says something interesting, and in our last six minutes and four seconds, we are going to unpack it, but it's super, super important. Um, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For, by the way, who, who was Simon Peter's dad? Jonah, Barjona. You guys are learning Hebrew today. Bar means son of Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood is not revealed this to you. My father is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. Somebody say Petros. That means a little stone. That's what Peter's name means. It's a pebble. It's a little rock. 
And upon this Petra, somebody say Petra. That's a big rock. That's El Capitan at Yosemite. That's a massive stone. And Jesus said, upon this Petra, I will build my church. You are Peter, little rock. And upon this different Greek word, upon this Petra, I will build my church. First, I got my church underlined in the Bible, by the way, because Jesus talked. Um, and this is one of the first mentions where Jesus mentions you and I as the church, the Iglesia, the, um, the, the, the bride of Christ. And he said, I'm going to build, I'm going to create, I'm going to build a bride, a church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. So this verse, unfortunately, has been mistaught or understood in lots of different ways and lots of different levels. First of all, you know, for, for the, the, the Catholic Church for so many years um, believed and taught that basically what this meant was that Peter was the, the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on and that Peter was given the keys to the kingdom and, 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 and the Catholic Church for a lot of years said that that was the only true church and that you, in order to go to heaven, you had, it, they had the, the, uh, the keys to heaven and you had to be a part of the, the church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church to get to heaven. And this doctrine of exclusivism was, was taught. And the tradition is that Peter, through this, became the first pope. And today we have a succession of, of popes in line leading back to Peter. The problem is, well, Peter wasn't the first pope. You know, scripturally, it doesn't work. Peter was married, and unfortunately, Jesus healed his mother-in-law, right? <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Um, and so, it, it, it doesn't, it can't be. Just read First Peter. He'll tell you he wasn't the first pope. But it's not what Jesus said. Jesus is not going to build his church, you and I. And we are his church, right? We, we understand that's clear, right? We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. And he's not going to build his church upon Peter. He's going to build his church upon what? Upon the big rock. Not the little rock, the big rock. And what was the big rock? The big rock was the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that rock, upon that confession, upon that truth, upon Jesus himself, who is a rock. And the Bible uses the rock as a biblical idiom for Jesus himself. Upon that rock, I'll build my church. Jesus is the hero of the church. And God is going to build his church upon that rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize that that, that, that blows a hole in, in, in some people's understanding of God and theology? That God, like, like the church became um, to the point where it was an apostasy and, and God had to do a redo? That's, that's, that goes contradictory to what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Are you reading the same thing I'm reading? God, the, hey, Satan has never prevailed. God's never had to do an oops. Oops, it didn't work. Let me try something else. A redo. Another one. Didn't do it. And, and, and so, but for you and I, listen, this is kind of a marching order too. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you and I. Now, how many times have you guys been in your neighborhood walking your dog or something and your neighbor's gate jumped out and started chasing you down the street? Anybody? No, your ball ever go over somebody's fence and you wanted to get it and the gate was in the way. What does a gate do? A gate protects you from going somewhere. A gate's not an offensive weapon. A gate doesn't chase you down the street. 
You, you have to go and attack that gate. When I was in high school, my favorite gate story, and then we're just about done. We went to a party in Palos Verdes, and uh, the, the kids that were there saw my group and were like, you guys ain't coming in here. And uh, so they, they said we couldn't come in their party, so we, we left. And, but before we left, we had a kid with us. It was, uh, his name was Big Mike, and Big Mike had a Division One scholarship to play uh, offensive line um, out of North Torrance. And so we, we were getting ready to leave, but we weren't just going to leave. So we told, we told Big Mike, hey, hey Mike, go, go, go ram that fence. It's a big, huge house in Palos Verdes, backyard party, a bunch of kids there. And, and they got this big wood gate, like seven-foot gate. And we could kind of see over the gate and seen him back there. And so we're telling Mike, hey, Mike, go, 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 go run that gate. So he puts his head down and starts running at the gate. He turns sideways at the last minute, crashes through the gate, lands on top of it, and all the kids in the party look at us, and we're standing on the outside looking back at them. Mike's on top of their gate, and we're like, uh, okay, I think we're leaving now. <laughs> then we left peacefully. Um, but a gate, it, it's, it, it only prevails when we, we don't attack it. You ever heard the saying that evil prevails only when good people do nothing? Only when you and I as Christians don't charge that gate. That, that we have to. And what are the gates of Satan in your community? What are the gates of Satan that, 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 that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church? What are those strongholds? What are those principalities? What are those things as Christians that, that we need to be charging for the kingdom of God to have so that God's church will prevail? Amen? Amen. And then it says, um, and I will give you the keys. I read that. And then let's just go to verse 20. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And so the reason why he told no one that he was the Christ was because Jesus was not ready yet to be um, arrested and taken to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem on his own, but there was still yet another season. He was about as far north in Israel as they'd ever gotten. He's going to go a little bit more north before it's over. There's not much left there. And then he's going to make this faithful journey, the final journey to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross. I'm going to end with just a little quick story. You know, I think the most biblical example I could find where um, people don't discern the times is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Jesus was there, and and you and I today, hopefully we can catch the gravity of the Garden of Gethsemane. One One of my most favorite Bible stories and concepts that makes me cry every time I think about it is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because what happened was, the Bible says that Jesus was so stressed that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. And he said, Father, if there's any other way that, that men and women can be saved, let's go with plan B. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And what's crazy to me is that I hate to even use the word, but because it's a Bible word, it's, so I'll, I'll go for it. To even describe how Jesus was in that moment. And, and Jesus in that moment was distressed. How many of you guys have ever been so distressed that the blood vessels on your forehead began to burst and blood began to run down your face? The Bible says of the Garden of Gethsemane that the Father in heaven was watching this scene. And what did he do? He said he sent his angels to minister to Jesus. The Father's in heaven. And his heart is breaking watching Jesus. And he says to the angels, my son, go to him. He's he's hurting in the garden. He's distressed. Go to him and minister to him. 
The Father sent angels to the Garden of Gethsemane to minister to Jesus because of the condition he was in, the gravity. And the disciples are a hundred yards away sleeping. And he asked him and he told him. Three times he went back to him and he shook him and he said, Hey guys, wake up. You need to be praying. They said, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he went off and he came back. And how did he find him the second time? Sleeping. Do you think if they understood that the Father was sending angels to Jesus, that Jesus was realizing in the flesh what was about to happen to him in the next 24 hours, that the disciples would have been sleeping? No way, right? No way. You know, I often point out, I think it's important at this point, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was about to face the most brutal death that any human being before or after will ever face and live. Jesus suffered it. He went through it. And as terrible as it was, I'm sure part of it as it was, it's not why Jesus sweat great drops of blood. The reason why Jesus sweat great drops of blood was because a prophecy in the Psalms that said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I don't understand it theologically. But at some point when, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that God poured the wrath of, of your sin and my sin, of sin and death, of Barabbas, of the thief on the cross who was about to go to heaven, upon Jesus. And in that moment, there was a separation between Jesus and the Father. And that momentary separation scared Jesus so bad that he sweat great drops of blood in the garden. And you and I flirt with that separation in our lives sometimes. And if we could just grasp a little bit of what Jesus grasped that day in the garden, just the fear, the real reality that I don't want to be without the Father and close to him, not even for a second. And the disciples are sleeping because they missed the sign of the time. They missed the gravity of what was going on. I promise you, if they understood the gravity of that moment, just like you and I, they wouldn't have been sleeping. They would have been praying. Do we want to be praying in our hour? We don't, right? We, we, want to be, we, we don't want to be sleeping in our hour, in our opportunity, in our moment. So be a people of prayer. Understand the times. And let, let God minister those things and let God heal. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come up, close us in a song. And then uh, if, uh, as always, each Sunday, if you're here today and you're, you're not sure if you're a believer or you're not really sure where you're walking with the Lord, we want to give everybody the opportunity each Sunday to make sure that your heart and your life are right with Jesus. There's one truth. There's one way. There's one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus. And, and, and we don't want anybody to walk through those doors without an assurance of salvation. You know, the nice thing about being a Christ follower is the only, it's the only way to know that you know that you know you're saved. It's the only way to know you're going to heaven. I don't care what you want to sign up for, or what religion, what idea you, you ascribe to. Only one affords you the reality that you can know you know you know you're going to heaven. And that's through the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So I want to give us each an opportunity to ask Jesus in your heart if you need to do that. Just... Get your life right with Jesus if you need to do that. And then uh, Jay and Allie are going to be up front to pray with anybody who'd like individual prayer. I'll be up front to pray with anybody who'd like individual prayer. It lasts about one song. And then if, if we need after that, we'll stick around and talk and pray with anybody else that wants to talk or pray.
Will you guys pray with me out loud as a church? And as I pray, you know, I pray out loud because I just, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. And I think there's a time to be put on the spot and put feet to your faith. And Jesus never called anybody privately, he called everybody publicly. But, you know, as we pray this prayer, there's no magic in the, in the words. Will you guys close your eyes and bow your heads? It just it doesn't make us more spiritual. It just helps us focus a little bit. And as we pray this prayer together, you, you pray directly to God. And if you mean this, and if, you, and if you're praying this, God will hear you. And today he'll change your life. Today Jesus will come into your life. And whatever it is in your life that you need. You know, this prayer is as simple as yes. I surrender. Yes. We just say yes to Jesus. And it's all we have to do. Let's pray together as a church. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again the third day. And I surrender all my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.